Thank you guys very much. Kids, you can go back to junior worship now if you haven't already. Remember, it is in the pit today downstairs, not in the sunroom because it's cold in the sunroom because the heating unit isn't working today. So it's downstairs in the, uh, in the pit. So head on back there if you want, or you're welcome to stay here as well, or you're welcome to grab one of the activity bags that's located out through that, that door as well. So we're going to work on part three of our series this week on, uh, on heaven and hell. And so uh, I want to apologize. The last two Sundays we have not been able to get recordings, so hopefully it's going to work out t- today. Um, Alex, does it look like it's working out okay? All right, all right. So um, apologize for not having that, but you can, if you want to f- catch up a little bit, if you missed the last couple of weeks, the text of the sermon is on the website, or if you have trouble with that, just give me a call, shoot me an email, I'll send it to you as well, that would be fine. So just as a bit of review then, for the last two weeks, the first week we looked at this idea of why does heaven and hell even matter? Like, why is it important that we talk about it? And I gave you sort of three ideas. Number one, if eternity is real, it's a really long time. And so if, if, that, if, that, you know, if we're going to be someplace or in some realm forever, then it makes sense that we would want to understand what that looks like for us today and to make sure that we're in the right place and that we know where we're going to spend eternity if it is, in fact, going to be forever and ever because the time that we're here on earth is just a tiny little segment of what, we're, uh, of what we're looking at in terms of a lifetime. And then also the Bible speaks a lot of it, and God gets glory in both judgment and in um, granting us glory in, in heaven. So that was the first week. Then last week we talked a little bit about what will heaven be, what, what will heaven be like, right? And there's so many things that we, that we don't really know about it, so many things that we're not given in the scripture. But the first slide today kind of summarizes that, that heaven is a glorious place with God's presence. So I believe that heaven will be that place where you and I will first be able to experience God's glory without a filter, God's glory without sin, God's glory in its full and complete manifestation. And we talked a little bit about how sometimes you would see some of this in the Old Testament where we would try to go into the tabernacle and the glory of God would fill the tabernacle and then everybody had to leave and Moses had to leave or when they dedicated the temple in Solomon's day and the glory, just that sort of visible presence, almost a felt presence of the glory of God. And so we'll be able to see that and experience that and feel that in a way that, that we don't experience um, today or certainly we can't experience on, on earth. And then we talked a lot about this idea that whenever the Bible speaks about heaven, it rarely, if ever, says anything about going to heaven, right? So the Bible doesn't really say, trust Jesus, receive Jesus, and go to heaven. What it says is trust in Jesus and be with him, okay? Follow Jesus and be with him, right? Jesus said, I'm going to take you to where I am. Paul wrote things like to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He didn't say to be absent from the body is then to be in heaven, so it's never presented as, as a place as much as it is presented as being with Jesus, being the person of, uh, being with the person of, of Christ. And so both in Jesus, the way he talked about it in the Gospels, and then also as Paul and others wrote about it, that's the way it's, it's understood. So, so I, I want you not to think of heaven as sort of this divine amusement park or this way in which you get to experience all the wonderful things that you like doing whether that would be hunting or fishing or knitting or cross-stitching or whatever it is, and you're just going to get to do that forever. That's sort of what heaven is like. That's not the way it's presented. There's a lot we don't know about heaven, but it is presented primarily as being with Jesus. And so ended last week with the idea that, you know, I think that the real rub there is if we don't want to be with Jesus today, then have we really been transformed to be with him forever? I mean, what would be the point, right? Because that's really primarily what it is all about. Next slide says that there are an awful lot of questions that we have, though we might have a lot of questions about heaven. 
we can only trust the answers that God provides. I mean, if you've, if you've read the Bible, if you've thought about this, you've probably had a lot of different questions about, well, what, what is it going to be like? What am I going to do there? What am I going to look like in heaven? Right? We'll talk about that in a little while. What am I going to look like in, in heaven? What, how old will I be? Or those who didn't make a certain age, what, what will that look like for them? Right? What's, what am I going to do? Am I going to sing? Am I gonna, what, what, what is going to happen in, in heaven? And so we have all of these questions, perhaps, but we don't have as many answers as we want. And the answers that we can trust are the answers that God gives us. God's the only one who is already there in your eternity future. And so as he has revealed what he has revealed to us in the scripture, those are the answers that we have. And I was thinking about that as I was driving in this morning. And there's a, a verse that came to my mind from, I think it's 2 Peter chapter 1. And it says that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Right? God has given us in his word all things that pertain to life and godliness. And I thought, you know what? That's kind of the way I like to think about it. There's plenty of things written in the scripture that I know that I can follow and that I know what I should be doing that if I just focus on that, then I don't have to worry quite so much about all the things that I, that I don't know. Though I don't think it's wrong to question, ask the questions and think about it and speculate a little bit. Do, do a little speculating today, uh, a little bit, as we walk through some of the things that we're going to walk through um, today. So let's think about what will heaven be like? Excuse me, what will we be like in heaven? Last week, what was heaven? This week, what will heaven be like? So let's look at number one. We will be perfect in every way. And just right now, and I probably shouldn't even say this, but I will. What, there's a song by somebody that says, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror. I get better looking each day. Right? You know, so, who sings? Anybody know? To know me is to love me. Um, I must be a, well, sort of an expletive there. It's a minor one. I'll talk about that next week. One, uh, uh, Lord, no, nobody? Nobody? Okay. Anyway, there's a song that, that, that talks about, about that. Um, but I want you to think this morning, and maybe some of us never get past point number one today, that in heaven, you and me will be perfect in every way. Every way. You will be perfect, complete, full potential, everything that you can be. Not beset by any temptation, not beset by any sin. I can't even imagine what it's like to live like that. You know, there's many things about the Apostle Paul that I cannot identify with. I have a struggle identifying with the zeal that he had to follow Jesus. I have a hard time, you know, kind of putting myself in the same passion that he had to go do the things that he did for Jesus. But, but there's this section in Romans where he talks about the struggle with sin, and, and, and I can identify with him here, right? In heaven, we will no longer struggle with sin. He writes in Romans 7, for the good that I will to do, I do not do. I mean, that, I, I, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because if you're breathing, you've done this. How many times have you even sometimes maybe felt prompted by God to do something good for someone or on behalf of someone or even to give something or to go somewhere and you just don't do it because you don't want to. It's selfish. I don't want to go do that. It's going to cost me something. I don't want to pick up the phone. I don't want to go see him or her. I don't want to say that. And so we don't do it. Or, the evil I will not to do that I practice. You know? God, I thought I would never do that again, and I did it. I don't want to do that again. Why did I do that? Why did I think that? Why did I go there? Why did I say that? 
Right? How many times have we been in conversation where the a little voice in our head is saying, don't say that word, don't say that phrase, don't say that phrase, it's going to get you in trouble, don't say that phrase, it's mean, it's not nice, and we say it anyway. And it's like, ah, oh, wish I hadn't done that. You'll never do that in heaven. Not one time. Everything we say, whatever kind of communication we have, everything we say will be perfect. Everything will be complete. Nothing will be wasted in any way. Let me go back to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. John writes, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, and the pronoun there is referring to Jesus, when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will be perfect in every way. Another way of thinking about this is that the fruit of the Spirit becomes fully ripe in heaven. Right? Did you ever go to get the, you go to the bananas at the grocery store, and there are no ripe ones. Have you ever had that happen? You've had that happen to you if you go to the... Every now and then you go, and there's just no ripe ones. And, and I don't like unripe bananas. They don't... They, they taste chalky to me or something. I don't know what it quite is. But, but, but when you get that... You know, each banana has a 30-minute window when it is perfectly ripe. Right? And when you nail that window, when you... I mean, it's, ah, it's just almost nothing better than a perfectly ripe banana. So the Bible uses this expression called the fruit of the Spirit, right? And lists them for, this, for us in Galatians. Love, joy. You know, I don't know what perfect love is like. I've never loved anyone perfectly or completely. I can't do it. I've never had complete and perfect joy before. Now, if we've all had experiences and we have relationships where we might say, oh, I just love that person so much, but it's not perfect because you're not perfect and he or she isn't perfect. And the joy that we feel is temporary for the most part, often. Peace. It's hard to experience that completely. Even when we have it or we feel like we have it, we certainly know a lot of other people who don't. It's hard. It wears on us patience, long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness, in heaven, all of these things are perfectly ripe. What will you be like in heaven? You will be perfect in every way, just as Jesus was perfect and is perfect in every way. Number two, our bodies will be resurrected in glory. One of the interesting things about the Christian tradition of faith is that your actual physical body will be reunited with your soul or your spirit. Your body will actually be resurrected out of the ground or out of the water or wherever it is. God is going to resurrect it. He writes about this, or Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, Now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, which is a metaphor, an expression for death. Now, in the Old Testament, the, the first fruits was if you harvested your crops or you sheared your animals or whatever it is, you brought the first of that to the temple, to the tabernacle, to the temple, to the priest for an offering. You gave them the very beginning part. 
in anticipation of future harvest, but you gave the first. And so Jesus here is referred to as the first fruits because he's the first to come out of the grave into a glorified body. Now, of course, we know Lazarus was resurrected, but Lazarus was resurrected back to a human body, which died again later. But Jesus was the first to be resurrected into that physical body. And that's what Paul's referring to here. For since by man came death, by man, that's a reference to Jesus, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. So he's talking about a bodily resurrection, not just talking about our spirit or soul being with God. And then we skip down a few verses. Someone asked the question, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? That's a logical question, right? What do we look like when we're in heaven? How old will we appear to be when we're in heaven, right? That's a question that, that I've heard other people ask. I know somebody in our area who thinks that everybody will be 33 because that would be the age when Jesus was resurrected. He was 33 years old. And so everyone will be 33. For some of you, you don't even know what 33 looks like for you yet because you're not there. For others of you, you're thinking, wow, more hair, you know, or less weight or whatever the case may be, you know, I'm going to get, but we don't really know. The Bible doesn't say that. I mean, it's an interesting, and when I, when I asked, actually questioned this person about it, he goes, well, you know, first John writes that we shall be like Jesus. We shall be, we'll just see him as he is. So we'll be 33. Well, maybe, but there's no real reason to know that for sure. We don't really know what we're going to look like, but we know we're going to have this body. This body. So let's look at what, again, what, what he says. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. This is so interesting. There's so many questions that we just don't have answers to. But the very fact that God is going to redeem this body. Another scripture from Philippians chapter 3 says, Our tainted bodies will be transformed. Paul writes to the Philippians, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body into, excuse me, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself, right? right? So, so God is actually going, what will you be like in heaven? You'll have your body. Now it'll be changed, and I don't know exactly what it will look like, but the church has believed through the writings of the New Testament for ages that you will actually have your body. Now, this brings up a really interesting question to me. Why is it important? Why is that important? I mean, if, if, if we're going to be in place of eternal, eternal realm, this thing we call, place we call heaven, being with Jesus, where it doesn't seem that we'll have limitations of time and space and, you know, I don't really, again, understand how it's going to work. I don't know how you're going to move around, you know, in heaven. I don't know if you, do you just transport there. Do you just think yourself there? I don't know anything about that. But what's the point of the body? Why do you have to have the body? And when I was reading through something, this studying for the sermon series, I never really thought of this question before. This person proposes this idea that all of our bodies have been messed up by sin. Right? 
all of us, all of us, because we sin, so we do that. But then also just the actual physical dying process. You know, Adam and Eve had perfect bodies before sin, but then we sinned. And this person's theory is that God is essentially saying to Satan, I'm not going to let you mess up my perfect creation. And so all the time that that person lived on earth, they had a body that was marred in some ways by sin. But for all eternity, I'm going to redeem that body. I'm going to make that body perfect. I'm going to resurrect it, and I'm going to change it into a glorious body so that forever and ever and ever, they will be in that body that I designed for them with no effects of sin. I actually like that thought. That's a little speculation as to why, but I like that thought. Satan has no victory even over the body. God redeems the whole thing. Now, with the body, there are some questions like, like what will we wear? And, and I just want to share a little bit of extra biblical revelation. I had a vision And this is what we will all be wearing. So you will have your Dallas Cowboy jersey with your name on the back. And as a little preview for next week, as we begin the two-week series on hell, this is the outfit for hell. Okay? Because thou shalt not steal. So an outfit for stealers. But again, I'm going a little outside of the authority of Scripture here. And it could have been the pizza I had before I went to sleep instead of a vision from God. This is where I'm at. Now, next point I want you to think about. I want you to just let that settle for a minute. In heaven, for the very first time, you and I will be fully alive. For the very first time, as the fruit of the Spirit is fully ripe in your life, You will be alive, fully alive, for the very first time and for all time. Think about that. What will I be like in heaven? It doesn't really matter how old I'm going to be, what I'm going to look like, where I'm going to live. The point is I'm going to be alive. That work that the Holy Spirit is attempting to do in my life, in bringing about the fruit of the Spirit, in enabling me to live in the power of God, all of that power that is there that I push back against, that you push back against from time to time, that push back against will all be removed. And you and I will be alive. C.S. Lewis says, God will make the feeblest and filthiest of us a dazzling, radiant immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. That's what it's going to be like. You will be perfect love. You will be perfect joy. You will be perfect peace. You'll be perfectly kind, perfectly gentle, All of that will be you. You'll be alive for the very first time, the way that God designed you to be alive. Number three, we will know everyone perfectly. We will know everyone perfectly. 
a lot of our question about heaven revolves around the idea of family. Revolves around the idea of, well, who will I know? Or will I know that somebody's not here? How will I understand all of that? And again, there's maybe not as much scripture that we have about this that we might like to have. But I think if we think about the principles of it, for me anyway, this is pretty clear. Maybe it's not so clear for others, but for me, it's pretty, it's pretty clear. So I want you to think about a couple of things here. Three things that prevent us from having perfect relationships on earth. Now, there may be more than this, but just these three came to my mind. Are sin, time, and space. So think about your, your spouse, your children, your parents. Sin gets in the way of having a perfect relationship with him or her. It, it just does, right? Again, we, we say wrong things. We, we're selfish creatures. We, sometimes we intentionally wound or we intentionally hurt. Sometimes we're just apathetic about it. We just don't really care as much about the other person as we should. So, so, and you may have even relationships right now that you can think of that are broken in some way because of sin. Maybe your sin, the sin of somebody else. But, but the point is that sin hampers those relationships. The intensity of the relationship, the intimacy of the relationship is hampered by sin. But it's also hampered by time. So you and I only are able to have relationships with people that are in our time. I think this is not rocket science, but, you know, there may be somebody from 1837 from Mifflinburg that you would have had a wonderful relationship with. I mean, you two would have clicked perfectly. You just, if just, you're two peas in a pod. But the problem with that is what? You live now. You didn't live in 1837, so you never met that person. So your ability to have a relationship with an innumerable amount of people is determined by time. You just, you just weren't there. You're not, you're not able to have that relationship with that person because of time. And then space. Right? You, you, you were only able to occupy one space at one time. There could be somebody absolutely incredible for you in a relationship, and they live in India right now. And you can't, you don't know them. You have no relationship with them because of space. You're confined to one space at one time. I mean, think about this as we think about the relationships that are so very important to our, to our lives. Think about the decisions in your life. If you had just made one different decision, you probably never would have met that person. Right? If you just made one different decision. I mean, I don't believe that God somehow superintends all of our choices and decisions to bring each of us. And I know we sort of like to do that sort of flowery language, like, you know, you were the only one in the world made for me and all that. And that sounds good, but you think about the decisions that you've made. And if you had made a different choice, if you had gone to a different college, if you had stayed in the military before you got out, or if you had made this choice or worked at that job, you never would have met perhaps the most important person in your life right now. You never would have met him or her because of the limitations of space. Or time. And so the intimacy of our relationships, the way that we grow into love and, and sacrifice and forgiveness are all related to and limited by sin, space, and time. So what now if all of those things are removed? I believe we would have perfect relationships with everyone. And I think Paul gives us a little hint of this in a, in a passage on marriage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul's talking about marriage. And, and in, he's really talking about 
at this particular point of the chapter that we're going to read, he's talking about the priority of serving Christ even over marriage. All right, so let's look at what he says in, um, we'll go back to that in a minute, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Now, it's important. Don't stop right there, okay? You have to continue with what he's saying. Those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. You see, relationships limited by time and space and impacted by sin is a form of this world. And all of this is passing away. We're moving into something different where there are no limitations. And so let me go back a slide. Your best and most amazing friendship on earth will be magnified and multiplied in heaven. Your most amazing friendship on earth will be magnified because you will be fully ripe in the fruit of the Spirit. He or she will be fully ripe in the fruit of the Spirit. You will both be fully alive for the first time in your eternal existence, and your relationship will be amazing, magnified, but then multiplied, as I believe, over the entire gamut the population of heaven with Jesus. So, so when we think about this, people sometimes, I think, feel like, you know, oh, well, that, that means I won't have this, do you mean I won't have this special relationship with my husband? No, you'll have a better relationship with your husband. But you'll have the same relationship with a follower of Jesus from England who died in 1837. And they'll all be perfect. It won't, it won't be this little sort of, you know, you won't have your little street. You know, where, you know, you'll have the, you know, the, 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 the Stiers cul-de-sac. You know, where you'll have you and Roxy and you'll have your family and you all live sort of together. And it's not going to be like that. There's nothing in the Bible that indicates that it's going to be like that. In fact, Jesus said we're not even married in heaven. We're given in marriage. And Paul sort of reinforces that idea with this importance of how it is to follow Christ and that that's going to pass away. But you will have a perfect... I don't think we appreciate this enough. When you think about the joy that an intimate relationship brings into your life, of course, those intimate relationships almost always bring sorrow as well. But that's part of how it works here. But in heaven, it won't be that way. It'll just be the joy magnified and intensified. So it won't really matter how old you are. It doesn't really matter how you get from place to place, you know, what you look like. Everyone will experience amazing relationship. All right, Eric, move off this point. One more thought, one more slide. This is a way to encapsulate maybe. Our loved ones won't mean more to us in heaven than any other one that we love. And we're going to love everybody. So don't think of it as a negative. Think of it as an amazing positive that is not available to you here. I mean, it's just not possible. It's not possible to have those kinds of relationships with very many people here on planet Earth. You're just limited by time and space and sin. But in heaven, those limitations are gone. And you have the opportunity to have the most amazing relationships, far more amazing than anything you've experienced here on Earth, multiplied with every single person who's there. I can't even imagine what the conversations are going to be like, how amazing it's going to be. But then I got to close. Our hope will be complete. 
our hope will be complete. I am frequently drawn back to 1 Peter chapter 1. One of my favorite scriptures, I probably use this scripture more than any other. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. If you've received Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you have been given an eternal hope. You have been given a living hope. It is there now, and hopefully it informs and shapes the way that you live your life today, but it is not yet complete. It is not yet fully realized. But when we enter into the presence of Christ in eternity, that hope is fully realized. There is no more to get. Right? There is, there is no next chapter. It is all there for you to experience and to live. Faith becomes sight. All of the promises of heaven become reality. All of the promises of being with Christ and the benefits of that become your reality. And you never have to look at your calendar to figure out when it stops. Because it goes on and on and on and on. So what will will we be like in heaven? Well, we'll be perfect in every way. Just latch on to that for a little while. Perfect in every way. We'll have a resurrected body. I don't know much about that, except the jersey. I don't know much about that. But it's going to be amazing. It's redeemed. It's not marred by sin anymore. You know everyone perfectly. You have the mind of Christ. You have no, no limitations. Again, I don't really, I don't know how that works. I don't, I can't figure that out. But I believe it's true. And I can't wait to experience it. I can't wait to experience that kind of intimacy and love. Oh. And then, Our hope will be complete. No more unfulfilled promises. Everything is laid out. I believe that all of this information that we're given about heaven is is again meant maybe as an evangelistic kind of idea, but, but really mostly to shepherd us as followers of Christ so that we make decisions and choices and actions today that reflect, excuse me, the reality of what is to come. And I hope that's where you're at today. I hope that the decisions that you make, the, the way that you spend your time, the way that you spend your money, the way that you prioritize your life, regardless of what age you are, I hope all of those decisions are made with this idea in mind, that this is your future. And hopefully, a desire to share the good news of Christ with many to bring them into this future as well. 
Because I believe, and we'll talk about this next week, but I believe there is another realm of existence for those without Christ. And it is nothing like described for us in heaven. And so, I just want to encourage you today. What will heaven be like? What will we be like in heaven? Let's go back to the words of the song from last week, right? Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to sing at all? I can only imagine. But one day, imagination becomes reality. Hope is filled. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, the, the amazing truth of heaven. The amazing opportunity that you provide for those who desire to be with Christ. So if there are any here this morning that kind of like, I don't really know if I'm with Jesus, I remind them of what we said last week. The ticket to heaven is not a ticket. It's not a resume. It's the presence of Jesus. It's just turning over and looking at him and saying, I'm with him. So I would invite you to begin a relationship with Christ by acknowledging your sin before God, repenting of that sin, turning away from it, and inviting Christ to, to save you, to change you, to transform you. And if we can help in that, if we can answer your questions or help you with questions, please invite us in. And those of us that are ready, I pray that this truth of what heaven will be like and what we will be like shapes how we live today. In Jesus' name, amen.